Here comes Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 235. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Imagine if you could just tap into the minds of some of the most incredible restaurant people out there and just absorb all of their advice. Well, you can. One way to do it is through Restaurant Unstoppable, of course, but the other way to do it is through reading their books. And the best way to absorb a book, in my opinion, if you're listening to this podcast, I know you love audio resources, so why don't you check out audible.com? It's the best way to absorb content, and you can get a free audiobook today by going to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Jennifer Jasinski. Chef, please tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. I am absolutely feeling unstoppable. It's pretty amazing, too. <laughs> yes, as you should be. Congratulations on your recent nomination for semifinalist for 2016. Uh, not best chef, but Out- outstanding chef. Outstanding that chef. That is awesome. Yeah. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. It's pretty, yeah, it's a pretty <laughs> big honor. It's a national award, so I'm oh, pretty yeah. happy to be even on the list. As you should be. So let me just give the listeners a quick aerial view of who you are, what you're all about, and we'll learn more about you. We'll dive into what makes you you. So... California native, Jasinski is a graduate of Santa Barbara City College and the Culinary Institute of America. Uh, after being mentored by Wolfgang Puck, Jasinski decided to break off on her own in 2000 and took an executive chef role at Panzano in Denver, Colorado. While working at Panzano, she met her future business partner, Beth Gruwich, and in 2014, they teamed up to open Rioja. Needless to say, this This has turned out to be an amazing partnership, and they've gone on to open three additional restaurants, all in Denver. Uh, Her accolades include James Beard Foundation, Best Chef, Southwest, 2013 Bravo's top chef masters finalist season five and James Beard semifinalist uh, for outstanding chef award 2016 like we just mentioned and she's also the author of the perfect bite which is 76 recipes from Rioja kitchen and honestly I I just I didn't even like dive into the accolades you've you know won and how what you've accomplished I I didn't have enough space to do it you've just done so much uh <laughs> But, uh, man, you have such an impressive background. Um, I can't wait to learn more about you and how you've accomplished so much in your career. But before we do that, let's get the motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Well, you know, I have two that kind of that I think about in two different ways. You yes, know, a two one, one, Yeah, one thing I have is I always tell my people, don't try to be everything to everyone. You know, stay true to yourself. Stay true to your vision. Stay true to who you are and who you are as a chef, who you are as a front house manager, who you are as a restaurateur, you know? Mm. I think that we sometimes dilute our visions of what we do sometimes. And I think if we are just unabashedly true to ourselves, I think that's, you know, amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, My other quote is by Maya Angelou, um, who was a poet. And she had said, I've learned that people will forget what you said 
people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that's like the essence of, I think, the hospitality business, how we make people feel. So I just love that quote. Those are two awesome quotes to get started. Uh, And I've heard that Maya Angelou quote before, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's so much, you know, at the core of what, this industry is all about. I mean, you, you can move mountains if you can just, you know, tap into uh, the social intelligence of people and to tap into what makes them feel special about themselves. And there's all those things. If, if you can just make them, if you can connect with them on that level, like I said, you can just move mountains. Can you dive deeper into like how that's helped you with your career, being able to connect with people and, and just making them feel amazing? Yeah. I mean, you know, we'll see with my mentor. And when I watched him being a young cook growing up, and how he didn't just be in the kitchen, he was amazing in the kitchen, but then he went out and made every guest feel special. And, oh, you want me to cook this for you? Let me go cook this for you. Mm. You know, like, just that, again, it's like hospitality at its base, most basic thing, how you make people feel when they walk in the door. And that first person coming in and the host making them feel like you're walking into someone's home. Not, you know, like pushing them aside, I'm really busy, hold on a minute. You know, like every single aspect of the dining experience is how we're making them feel. And it's also personal then because we can't just say, oh, good service is this. Every person is different. What I may think of as good service is maybe different than somebody else's. We have to read our guests, mm. read them, know what they want, and then, you know, try to give them the experience that they want, not the experience that necessarily that I want. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, I, and that's hard. Absolutely. And I, you can even take that further. Uh, and, you know, it's not just about how you make your guests feel, but uh, people like your employees will remember how you made them feel, how much time you invested into yep. developing their careers and just being interested in them and helping them grow. And I mean, I, I think that's a lot of, of the time where people fall short and why they don't really make it to the next level in their own careers because they're not focusing around the, on the people around them, the people that are working with them every day. What do you think about that? Yeah, exactly. And it does, it takes, you know, a lot of people come in and think, oh, Chef Jen, thank you for this, that, and the other. And I always say, you know, turn around. It's all 30 of these guys doing it every day, not me, you know? Yeah, I mean. So you have to, you have to, it takes a village every day. Look what Chef Wolfgang Puck did for you. Like, what? where would you exactly. be today if you didn't have somebody who, um, like, who wasn't looking out for you and being there for you? Like, he, you'll never forget him, you know. Like, no, absolutely not. Uh, it's, he's a. Yeah. It's not like he's a really forgettable person, anyway. But uh, <laughs> so he's a huge impact on my career. So. Yeah, and I can't wait to dive more into that. And I think we're going to have an opportunity to because uh, I mean, tell us about the path you took, Jen, to to get to where you are today. Uh, and I know you've <laughs> you've had such an incredible journey. You've seen so many. You know, you had so many incredible experiences. So just try to give us some snapshots of the path you took and some of the bigger, like, you know, impacts uh, in pivotal moments in your life. Yeah, I mean, you know, so grew up in Santa Barbara, California, and I decided, okay, you know, I I was cooking, you know, and thought I loved it. So I I went to Santa Barbara City College. I had a good hotel restaurant management program there. And, you know, Julia Child was there at my graduation, you know, and that blew me away. You know, wow, I got to meet Julia Child, you know. Yeah. Um, decided to go to the CIA in New York and Hyde Park, New York, and continue my education there. And from there, I mean, I just had, like, three jobs and did whatever to work and, like, learn. And, um, you know, jo- uh, started working with Joseph Baum at the Rainbow Room. I mean, that was another completely impactful place for me to be there for two years. Mm-hmm. And that's where I met Wolfgang. And then um, went back to California and then just got lucky enough to work for Wolfgang for 10 years, all over, almost all of his places, the fine dining restaurants. And through that time, you know, work with Nancy Silverton or work with, 
uh, Mark Peel, who was, you know, with Wolfgang. I worked with just some of the best pastry chefs and chefs, Kazuto, and I mean, just amazing people over the, the history of Wolfgang's time. You know, um, and then my last couple years of Wolfgang, I was his corporate chef and learned a slew of different things, you know, mm-hmm. um, how to run businesses and, you know, these types of things that have been invaluable in my experience, mm-hmm. you know. And then from there, I decided I wanted to kind of just branch off on my own. And I really felt the need to be able to stand on my own two feet without just Wolfgang's name behind me. So I moved where nobody knew me. And it's yeah. kind of a funny thing to say, but I moved to Denver, Colorado. And it's beautiful here anyways. And it has amazing, you know, amazing people live here, great clientele, you know. And they're really, they really want some delicious food. And everybody kind of thought it was a steak town in 2000. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do steaks. We're going to do, you know, food that I think everybody wants. People thought I couldn't sell fish here. Tons of fish, you know. You showed them. So I've been, I've been <laughs> had a, I've had a great, you know, 16 years here in Denver, Colorado, opening up four restaurants. I've been very blessed. Yeah, and one thing, just reading your bio and doing the research on you, one thing that just really impresses me with you, and something that I think you mentioned as being something that really drives you, is, is you just you you put so much into life. Like you don't go like half ass on anything like you were really no. just like full ass, full ass on yeah, you're like you just tackle life and i think we can all learn from that like the cia plus three jobs and i mean the cia from what i've gathered is not an easy ride by any standards it's a lot of work and you're working three jobs on top of that and you take chances like you meet these people and they say oh like get in touch with me and then you you take that extra step to to go to the next level and to surround yourself with incredible people. And tell me, what impact do you think uh, this ability just to surround yourself with incredible people and to take that action and to go, you know, 110% all the time, how has that impacted your career? Well, you know, my my chef, Jarrell, who's worked for me 10 years, he likes to call me relentless. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of what you mean. And I have this relentlessness towards moving forward, not moving back. Or, because I feel like if you're standing still, then you're going to get left behind. Oh, yeah. So in, our, so in our business, I feel like we have to push forward all the time. We have to be relentless. We have to ask questions. Like, is this the same thing? You know, I opened up Rioja 11 years ago. Would I make those same decisions today? Maybe not. Maybe I need to ask myself that question. I don't know. You have to keep pushing and questioning and seeing, you know, are you still relevant today? We have to do that. Now, let me ask you, how ha- how has Wolfgang influenced you? Like, what what things do you think you might have done differently if he wasn't there to guide you in a certain direction? Give us an example of some time yeah. in your life where mm-hmm. he just, you know, you had a decision to do one thing and he influenced you to do something else. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, for instance, when I was at Fago in Las Vegas and I really wanted to there was a job opening at Granita in Malibu and I really thought I was ready to take the executive chef role mm-hmm. at Granita in Malibu. And he, you know, I told him I wanted to do that. He's like, Jennifer, you're not ready yet. And I was really, it really hurt. It really bummed me out that he why, I wasn't ready yet. Why don't you think he thought you were ready? Well, he wanted, you know, he wanted me to be supremely confident in my decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and he, you know, he asked me to wait and I was executive sous chef under Lee Hefter and I learned a ton more under Lee. And you never stop learning, of course. Oh, yeah. But I wasn't, I became more confident. Mm. In, I didn't have that like, okay, everyone's going to be asking you 75,000 things a day. And you have to be ready to answer and feel confident about it. Sometimes you're, you're going to make mistakes. But mm-hmm. still, like, you got to have that confidence in yourself. What's the significance um, in that confidence? How does that, why is that so impactful? 
Well, your staff has to believe in you. Every mm-hmm. person around you, if they don't feel that confidence from you, they're going to lose sight and lose vision, you know, and you have to, if they don't believe in their supreme leader, you know, then that's it. The whole team falls apart. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Thanks yeah. for diving a little deeper into that. So yeah, go on. Uh, he talked you out of making the move. What happened next? Yeah. Well then, so I just waited. So I, you know, I trusted him and I hurt my feelings, but I trusted him and I, he's always been good to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I did realize, you know, a couple of years later, you know, he's right. Now I'm ready. You know, like, and then and even he told me now you're ready, you know? And, it, it just was, you know, it's hard to hear sometimes even just to wait, but and a lot of chefs right now, we're so impatient. In general, we're very impatient people, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we want instant gratification at all well, times. Um, yeah, let's dive more into that patience because that's something that comes up a lot on the show. So why is it so important? I think we you kind of maybe already answered this, but why is it so important to be patient? What can happen if you don't have that patience? Well, I mean, with everything, you know, you could say patience with a recipe, as in you're going to make something once, you have a great idea, but you could fine-tune it. If you just put it in the back burner, work on it another few days, fine-tune it, you know, there's that. Or there's patience to see a person develop and, oh, I don't think they're doing good enough. You know, I'm going to fire them and get a new person. Maybe I need to work with them on these things. Maybe I need to develop them more. Maybe I need to give them a chance, you know. And then some, I mean, sometimes no, but there's also patience with, a concept, you know, mm. like I know that I have a great story, you know, on my, you know, like things that applied to me, but when we opened up Euclid Hall, my third restaurant, you know, we had this great vision of this restaurant and Euclid Hall is very, very popular today and very, you know, busy and everything, but it opened up kind of slow and everybody came to me like, we should change many of this. We should do this. We should do that. I'm like, we are going to wait. We are going to give this a chance. We are going to talk about it. We are going to, you know, go out there and promote this with ourselves, you know, and really make sure our product is right and our vision is right and everybody's got it. And then one day it just caught on like fire, but we had to like just be patient, wait for it. If you really believe that you have a great concept and really great idea, a really great dish, you know, sometimes you got to just fight for it a little bit. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I'm curious, um, you mean you've opened now a total of four locations and the most recent one, 2014, um, was, uh, Stoic and yes, Genuine. thank you. Stoic and Genuine. Um, mm-hmm. did you notice a difference in opening, uh, though that later concept? Uh, I mean, was it harder with how difficult it is nowadays? The, the, it seems like there's a real shortage of talent and passionate people in this industry. Did you hit any speed bumps trying to open that location? Well, you know, we get the Tennessee done, so we always do. Opening restaurants is probably like childbirth, you know, very painful <laughs> and, and a lot going on and stressful. Um, but, you know, we, it, so 2014 was right at the start of the problem with hiring in Denver, Colorado. Like right now, it's a terrible uh, shortage of qualified cooks. It's a terrible shortage of cooks, but they don't qualify. I mean, so now we have to make the commitment to train people. And, um, you know, the dollar, the wages have gone up too. So that was kind of at the beginning of that. So I feel like we hired a really good crew there. We didn't have such problem hiring there. But, you know, you have other hiccups. Like, like we were the first ones to open in Union Station and this whole big complex in Denver that was opening. Mm-hmm. And the, the buzz about Union Station was so big that we opened up to about four or five times the volume we thought we'd do, which is a great problem to have. Yeah. But we just were like, okay, we have to make sure we don't, but, you know, fuck this up. We only have one mm-hmm. chance to give people their first impression of us. That it's so true. And genuine. We only have one chance. So to really try to control that chaos and make sure we still gave people a great experience 
you know, when you get caught with your pants down a little bit, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah. So we're, I mean, obviously two years later, you, you seem to be doing really well. Like, what do you think? So, um, you have so much going on, Jen. I don't even know what to ask. I, there's so much I want to pull out of you. Like, I, and I'm like struggling. I'm having a little battle with myself right now. I, mean, I like to. What's my purpose and what's my why? Yeah, you know? let's the- let's get into that. We might as well just move on to the next part of the interview. So, what is your purpose and what is your why? What is at the core of the just what drives you? Well, you know, I think at the bottom, like when I was figuring out why I wanted to cook versus music, because I was you know, really thinking about musician and play the, I play the flute and clarinet and woodwind and instruments. Mm-hmm. And I love making people happy right away and be able to see that. Mm. Like, again, with that quote, how I make them feel like, I just love being able to give somebody this plate of food or this experience and really change a night or give somebody a lasting memory of happiness or something like that. So I like, I, I guess I crave that feeling. I also probably on the why love the high energy. Like I love always being a little bit in the weeds. I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like you know that high energy of oh, we're we gonna get ready and everything is gonna be perfect and we're gonna do it and but it's like a positive thing. You know, like I love that energy that restaurants have and exude when they're awesome and when they're on fire. No, so, always. I, I love that. No, it always seems uh, or never seems to uh, or never ceases to amaze me is on a busy night uh, when everything's going good and everything's jamming three, four hours will go by in like a snap of a finger. It's amazing. Yeah. And I don't know about you. I, I don't know if you ever had a desk job. It sounds like you kind of started in this industry from no, an early I age. Didn't. I yeah. have. And let me tell you, a boring day at a desk job is like the worst thing. It, it, you see every second go by on that clock and it's awful. And, like you said, that high energy, there's no other job I know where it's so high energy, so social. So the ability to touch so many people and make so many people happy, like you said, uh, I mean, and I think it's those people like you who get into this energy or get into this industry because they can just make people happy. And like, that's what their payment is, is that instant gratification of making other people happy and just being surrounded by all that energy. Like, I mean, do you want to dive into that anymore? Well, well, I also like like the other reason. Like, so that was definitely like why I got into being a chef when mm-hmm. I was younger. But now, I still love that feeling. But now I have this opportunity to create something for a whole bunch of people that work with me, that work mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and so now that really drives me too to be able to create opportunities oh, yeah. and teach people and my chefs to make them part partners in these restaurants. And really create lifelong opportunities for people so they have a career, so they have, you know, like, I don't know, I feel now that I'm really, again, really lucky and blessed that I'm now helping people with their adult lives. And, you know, like my four chefs at my four restaurants, these guys have been with me, you know, the shortest guys in the eight years, the longest 10, 11, you know, mm-hmm. and making them partners in our businesses and really giving them a career and a place to be, you know, I love that as a family. Yeah. Let me ask, was there an aha moment that you had Jennifer chef Jen, when like you just like realized that it was the ability to make people happy to be there for other people. That's what you love so much. Like, did it click one day where you're just like, wow, this is why I'm here. You know, I'm not sure, you know, like when that moment happened, you know, it definitely did happen at some point, Yeah, but um, I think it probably happened back in Santa Barbara in my first the cooking school there and I 
was like, oh, I like this. I can do this. And it comes naturally to me and it feels good. And look at these people are liking it, you know. So it was probably a bunch of different things all together that snapped in place. Awesome. Love it. So let me ask, if you could just narrow it down to like a handful of habits, traits, characteristics that you think most contribute to your success, what would they be? Well, relentlessness. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very driven. Uh, I'm curious. In fact, I'm curious probably to a fault. <laughs> uh, and there's a great Einstein quote. I have no special talent. I am only passionately curious. <laughs> I love it. So I love learning, you know, I love learning everything. Um, very loyal. And I'm also, like I said, the other thing I think is a factor is I'm willing to question myself and I'm willing to question, is this still relevant today? Um, I think sometimes we do things and we've done them so long that we're like, no, this is how we do it. Well, maybe after 10 years, we need to change how we do it. You know, Mm. it doesn't mean it was wrong before, but maybe it's not right today. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a hard thing for people to be able to change in that manner. So I think that has been very healthy for our businesses. That was like one of the biggest lessons I took away from Jeff Benjamin's book, Front of the House, which was just to stay fresh. And I think a lot of restaurants, they get so used, they get so into their groove that yeah. so many years go by and they just lose, rel- they lose relevancy. And we, yeah. we can really get in trouble that way. But let's dive deeper into one of your if factors, uh, your passionate curiosity. Um, let's just give an example of a time where that passionate curiosity really like helped you get to the next level, really impacted your career. Well, I think, you know, well, gosh, impacting me in so many ways. So, I mean, just recently, or about, you know, two years ago, we, after we opened Stoic and Genuine, we kind of took a look and we just, I just love Stoic and Genuine. We're like, you know what? I'm falling out of love with Rioja, my first restaurant, and I don't want to fall out of love with my baby, my flagship. And so we kind of looked at Rioja with that passion, with that eye, that really critical eye. And so we decided to close it down for a couple months and remodel it and um, change a few service things and, you know, uh, update the menu, even though the menu has always evolved, but just just kind of give it a fresh breath of life. Um, and I'm really, really so happy we did that. I mean, it cost us a bloody fortune, but, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'm still happy we did it every day, you know, because now I think Rio has back on top where it should be, you know, and sometimes it's as silly as, you know, like maybe you have your favorite suit that you bought 10 years ago. Maybe that suit isn't really current anymore. Maybe mm-hmm. you shouldn't wear that suit anymore. Maybe you need to buy a new suit, you know? Like, so let me, know let me comes, ask, like, where do you, where do you draw the line? Because I think a lot of time people get in trouble chasing trends because they want to stay fresh or they want to be curious, yeah. but like, yeah, how I definitely do you, don't chase trends. Yeah. So explain the difference. Well, okay. I mean, chasing trends, you're definitely behind. Mm-hmm. So the thing with questioning what you're doing and looking at what your operations look like is to hopefully stay ahead, ahead of them. And by the way, I like not being trendy because once you become trendy, like you're always expected to be trendy. Mm-hmm. So there are places that translate through time and space and who aren't trendy, you know, mm-hmm. um, and who are delicious and have great service and innovative food. But don't have to be trendy. So I try to kind of stay away from that. Awesome. Great stuff. And I'm curious uh, on your topic of loyalty. Um, and I'm bringing this up because I learned from Ari Weinswag of Zingerman's that sometimes your strengths can also be your weaknesses. And I feel like one yeah. of my strengths is loyalty. I'm curious, have you had a time where your loyalty has hurt you? Well, yes, 
Um, I've had a time where I have had, uh, you know, a few employees work for me for six, seven years and they really needed to go and I needed to terminate them. And I finally did, but maybe I terminated them like, you know, a year too late and mm. they did some damage and, you know, we, we lost some other family members because of these people that should have been terminated. You know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, I had a couple people like that because, you know, it's, it's really hard when people work for you that long and fight, fight with you side by side that long to then say, gosh, it's time for them to go. So but it is sometimes, you know, like sometimes if people reach their learning curve with you and you can't do anything more for them, it is time for them to go. So what do you do differently now that you've learned this lesson when you see that happening, where you see somebody who's going down the wrong road or they're they're not, you know, behaving to your standards? Like, what's the lesson to take away from this? Well, unfortunately, it's it's a really hard lesson. It's just a lesson of we have to put our business decisions first mm-hmm. because, you know, at our four businesses, we employ, you know, 250 people. And if our brands are not doing well and if our businesses are not doing well, then they're hurting everybody. Mm. Yeah. You know? And so it's really hard, but sometimes we have to make a decision that's good for the most, not good for the one the single, you know? And yeah. that's hard. That's a great way to look at it. Cause I mean, I, I'm, the, I'm right there with you. Like I, I think a lot of us in this industry are so uh, heart heavy and we care so much about the people in our lives and it's so hard to let somebody go, but you have to think about that aspect that you have that characteristic that you have that you know we care so much for our people that if we keep this one person that we care about they're affecting the well-being of everyone else we care about and we have Mm -hmm. to have that mentality for the greater good and for the 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 purpose you know for the the cause of the team um so great great advice awesome stuff um Let's talk about a time now, and this is one of my favorite questions, where uh, you just fell hard on your ass with a failure. Uh, and tell us, like, bring us through that failure. I, I want to be like right there next to you while it goes down. Oh, God. I don't, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I did talk to you a little bit about the Euclid Hall, how we opened up in the beginning, and that was hard because we had to dump a bunch more money into the restaurant. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was hard, although it didn't end up being a failure in any way. So, um, Man, I mean, I've had failure on dishes. <laughs> I had to put food away. Like, we were just creating a dish for, um, I just put it at the James Rude Gala. Um, and they, you know, they want you to send them a dish like a couple months in advance. I said, okay, I'm going to do this salmon lomi lomi with, you know, these ingredients I know will be great together and I'll figure out the dish later. And I worked on the dish for like a week in the kitchen and every day I'd work on one and my, my chef, Jarrell, and I would work on it, and it just wasn't good enough, wasn't good enough. Finally, I'm like, I got to walk away from this. Mm. And I asked Jarrell, I'm like, Jarrell, he's like, I'm going to make a dish. You're going to tell me if you like it. I'm like, okay. And so, like, <laughs> a week later, Jarrell made me a dish. I'm like, I love this dish. Let's do that. So it just wasn't my dish at all. That's fine. Some days you just have to just not do it, step away and say, maybe I should do this. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, so lots of dish failures. Um, like I said, I feel like a failure when I feel people that I hire um you know I think I'm hiring somebody really great three four months five months into it you know too long they're just not working out mm-hmm. and I'm fighting 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 to try to make them successful give us an, they're not really fighting with give me. us a you know, specific example chef Jen where that well, I don't name names but <laughs> well yeah don't give us any names but like give an yeah. example of what can happen when the wrong person gets into your culture and like what, like how far yeah. it can really go in, in the, the wrong direction. Don't name names, yeah. but just I yeah, mean, I, put some emphasis, emphasis with an example. Yeah, we've had a few, you know, in the front of the house and in the kitchen and you know, like they look great on paper and they start off really good, but then their energy, like there's like a, a 
underlying negativity and they say little things to the staff mm. or they, and then pretty soon the staff is like, why did you hire this person? And they just completely, you know, of course blame us because we hired them and, you know, and we're trying to like say, okay, no, I, I don't want to just like, I don't like to just dump somebody, you know, I want to make sure like this is my fault if something doesn't work out. I either hired the wrong person or I didn't put enough training into them. And so, you know, with one of my kitchen managers I had recently, you know, I just, I tried to move them to a different store and I said, okay, well, this restaurant's not good for you. Let's try this restaurant. This will be really good for you. And let's put you in a whole new training program and let's do, and it just didn't work out. And it's been great that I got, you know, I let this person go, but it, 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 it can be really destructive to the people and the staff, like the totally. hourly staff sometimes will leave. Totally. Because they're, they're just pumping negativity into these people. Yeah. And, and I mean, attitude, it, I mean, we hire for attitude in this industry. It's so critical. It's mm-hmm. so important. And we are so easily influenced by negative attitudes. It can skunk an entire room. And I mean, like, I think, I can't remember where I've heard this. I've heard it a hundred times, but hire slow, fire fast. And, uh, like, don't let those people infiltrate your your culture and bring everybody down a uh, great lesson to be learned in that thank you chef yeah i also say yeah like i also say don't hire friends too like, yeah. and I, I haven't really but don't hire friends it's another one don't hire makes <laughs> makes getting rid of people a lot more difficult <laughs> yeah um, Awesome stuff. So we've crushed the first half of this interview. Chef Jen, you're just dropping gold on us today. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hands down, one of the most common characteristics of successful people in the restaurant industry is they never stop learning. They know that it's when you think you have all the answers, that's when the trouble starts to happen. So if you want to be successful, never stop pushing the envelope and improving upon yourself. And one of the best ways to do that is through reading. But it's not easy to find the time to pick up the book. I get that. And that's why you need to check out audible.com. You can get your free audiobook today if you go to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash unstoppable for your free audiobook. What are you waiting for? Get on it. So we're back. The first question I have for you, Chef Jen, is what is your advice for getting that initial capital to get started? What did you do? Well, you know, there's so many different ways to do that. So there's, you know, it depends on what your end result you want to be. Mm-hmm. For us and my business partners, Beth um, and Jarrell, we want to own our restaurants ourselves without mm-hmm. really having to dilute that interest besides the three of us. Um, and we do have some other partners. Um, Jeff Hermanson's been a great partner. He's owned Glamour Square and he's been a really great partner to us. Okay. But so, I mean, you can definitely go out and, you know, search and look for investors, you know, but they're going to want a piece of the pie, you know, mm. unless you just want to give them a certain percentage return on investment and say, okay, you know, $200,000, you know, I'll return your $200,000 is, you know, 8% or 10% or whatever they just determine. Mm-hmm. And then that, that profit is yours. Um, you can always take a small business loan. Now, SBA loans are kind of sticky, you know, they a lot of paperwork, boy. You know, you can take a standard loan right now, too. The rates are still really good right now to take a standard loan out. Um, let me, I know that the banks want, you know, want to see that you have enough money in the bank and skin in the game, you know. So let me but, ask yeah. right now, if, if you were to go back to 2000 and you want to open your own restaurant with your partner, Beth, what would you do? Like with all the experience, all that the knowledge you have right now, like what would your course of action be? You know what? I think we did a great deal back then, and I got really lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, I 
so I like to deal with it, and I'd go back and do the same type of deal. Mm-hmm. There's three basic partners in Rioja, you know, myself and Beth Gritch and Jeff Hermanson. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been a good little triad of a partnership there. Um, so Jeff does own a third of it, but he also um, helped us out a lot, you know. We didn't have any money back then. And something to be said for that, you know. So, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, we got, I got some great business advice from... Um, great business people in town who took me under their wing because um, I really feel that capitalization is a big problem and why restaurants don't make it is that they're undercapitalized. Um, we, really, we really need to have enough money in the bank before we open. Mm-hmm. We need to go in eyes wide open on the build out, eyes wide open on how much it's going to cost for you know, the first three months of payroll and mm-hmm. cost of goods. And we need to have at least three or four months of money in the bank on the day you open. Mm. And that was one of the problems we didn't do at Euclid Hall, mm-hmm. even though I should have known better, three yeah. restaurants in. Do you think it's you know, because you had multiple channels coffee. of revenue? Do you think that your other restaurants would be able to support the third restaurant or the fourth restaurant? I think I got a little cocky. I yeah. think, you know, I was like, oh, my reputation's great in town. These first two restaurants are great. Everyone's going to come in the door. You know, I think it was just a little cocky. So what are you going to do different <laughs> with the fifth restaurant you open? Well, we don't have a fifth <laughs> restaurant, but we we do. <laughs> um, and we did it right with Stoic and Genuine. So Stoic and Genuine, we did it right again. We made sure we had, you know, XYZ dollars in the bank the day we opened so it didn't have to fish around for, uh-oh, payroll or uh-oh this or, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think having those three months of operating costs in the bank the day you open is imperative. And I like... You know, that's a model we worked with. We didn't take out too much debt with Stoic and Genuine mm-hmm. 2. We took out, we had 50% of our initial investment in cash and, you know, in money, in money and we took out the other 50% in the loan. And um, the banks will go, you know, 2080, but it doesn't make me feel comfortable going 2080. Yeah. I want to, I, I want to not take more than half of it out in a loan. Yeah, I mean, it's some great little things I'm picking up. I mean, make sure you have money down. The more money you can put down, the more the banks will know that you're, you know, in it and the more skin you have in the game. Also, Mia, let me ask, you said you got a really good deal in the first restaurant. Uh, what do you think that that first deal came to you because of the experience you had, because of the background you had and the team you put together? Well, I think some of it, I definitely, our experience and our success that Beth and I, because Beth, which my business partner and I have been together for years. We were at Pinzano for four years together and really made that restaurant, uh, Kinton restaurant. They were struggling. They were open like eight months when I came there. And we like turned that place around in a massive way to their most successful restaurant by the time we left. Um, so I think our reputation and what we did there was helpful. And I also, you know, think that, again, Jeff Hermanson, our third investor who um, owns the land that we're on, um, because we were making him a partner too, you know, he made it a good deal because he'd win both sides, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it was a win-win situation. Awesome. Um, and I think that was good. Great. So uh, we already put a lot of emphasis on the significance of people and uh, like treating people. And uh, I can tell that you, you just recognize the value in your people. So let's talk a little bit about how you hire, what you're looking for and what you do to retain people. Yeah, well, you know, I remember like a couple of years back one day, I just wrote down, like, what it, you have to know who you're looking for sometimes. And sometimes we just don't put it down on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You know, what attributes are we looking for? You know, what are the must-have qualities? What are the would-like-to-have qualities? Mm-hmm. You know, so we went through that process of saying that they need to have, a, you know, a good work ethic or they need to have, you know, a certain amount of knife skills. Mm-hmm. Like some things are like, 
more, you know, in the head of, you know, get along with people, a good hospitality attitude mm-hmm. and some things are like nice skills and work a certain, you know, no, no sauces or for the front of the house, you have to have a, a, a certain amount of wine knowledge or else you can't even, don't even apply at Rioja if you don't have a certain amount of wine knowledge, you mm-hmm. know? So we, we broke that down into, you know, what exactly are we looking for? And then that really helps people to go, nope, this person doesn't have our must-have qualities. Mm-hmm. Or yes, they crush it on all these. Why are we not, you know? So I w- we like to start there. Um, and then we like to, you know, on the hiring process, of course, check uh, references. And, you know, we like to do stages, front of the house and back of the house. The stages are, I think, the biggest help to us. Really getting the people in the kitchens and having them work a shift. And you really find out, you know, who's got what on that shift. Oh yeah. Um, so that's that's to me the most invaluable. Yeah, and um, I I think that's great advice that you gave with the visioning because I I feel like like visioning can be so powerful and I think we, we don't take it far enough to actually take the time to vision who we want working for us. Since it's, like what you did was so critical, you took the time to write it down the the picture the yeah. perfect employee. And I think I might have cut you off. I'm sorry if I did. No, it's all good. Um, we also, you know, with retention, we needed to give them their reviews and their feedback. You know, they need feedback. And mm-hmm. we got in a bad habit for a while of not doing reviews. And now we're doing them again re- religiously. And it doesn't help so much. Like, you think, oh, everybody's great. They're fine. They're super happy. But they maybe just want to talk to you in a, in a safe setting. And, you know, they, so the review process and, and the reviews not being tied to money. So we are specifically not tying our reviews to money, you know, where we have a new hire, we're doing like a one week review and then we do a two week review and then a month review. And then you get on your normal, like quarterly review schedule. Um, so we really keep a tight hand on our new hires. Um, so that's been helpful. So about the reviews, what do you think the one you know thing about a review that has the most impact with your people? Well, we started um, this kind of like, review process of having this conversation with the employee first, mm-hmm. you know, tell me about what you love about it. Tell me what you don't like, or, you know, some stuff like that, you know, getting them to talk. So, and then going through the stuff part of their day, mm-hmm. I think us having a conversation and getting them to talk and talk about their job and talk about what frustrates them. Talk about how can we be better managers for you? Mm-hmm. Um, do, do we need more, you know, do you have everything you need to do your job? Well, you know, like, so get everybody to talk. That's been really powerful. Yeah. And I can't help but think of, uh, you know, first seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Stephen R. Covey's words of highly effective people. Uh, like, if, if you take the time to, like you say, get them to talk and listen, they're going to tell you so much about what you can do to be better. Sometimes we just try to start the conversation with saying what they're doing wrong, you know, yeah. or just making assumptions, yeah. and we don't take that time to yeah. listen. Great stuff. Great advice. Um, okay, let's, yeah. let's talk about some of the challenges you're having right now. Uh, are there anything or is there anything going on in our industry that has your attention, that has you bracing for impact that you want to talk about? Well, there are many challenges in this industry right now, and, you know, the, the numerous ones on the top of my head are the federal mandate is going to be changing the way we pay our managers. I think that's going to be coming down soon. Um, and then also just um, how to figure out how to stay financially viable with all these costs rising and insurance and everything that we offer our employees. But the costs, they have to go up somewhere because our margins are so tiny, you know. 
And I wish to say that, you know, we're at 10 cents on the dollar, we're making 10%, but we're not quite there this year. It's been tough with all the health insurance costs rising and and just wages rising um, so, and people really fighting us, raising prices on our menu. So let me, there's going to be a sorry. breaking point there. I was say, no, there's just going to be a breaking point there. Let me ask, what are you planning to do? What are the things that you have in plan to prepare, you know, to stay financially viable? Do you have any places where you're going to try to increase the margin or are you going to try to, you know, narrow gaps? Like what are you planning on doing? Well, I mean, some of the things, you know, obviously we want to work on efficiencies and are we mm-hmm. being efficient? And we try to look at our business model first. We definitely make raising prices the last thing we look at. Mm-hmm. We, um, we've hired a company to help us with our purchasing to combine not really to combine our purchasing power so much at the four restaurants because we don't purchase the same thing, but efficiencies on purchasing. Um, we're very happy so far with our first three months of using um, Sundell and Associates for purchasing. Um, we have already seen some really good impact and we think that our cost of goods is going to help us go down there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, even if, like, you get your, you know, your cost of goods down to where you want it to be and such, sometimes, like, Let's say, you know, two years ago when we had to, uh, when, when we started offering health insurance, you know, we're spending $60,000 at each restaurant a year in health insurance that we didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And that's a big chunk of money, you know? So how do you pay for that, you know? Um, if we can't work on efficiencies, there are some times when we have to raise some prices. Mm-hmm. But we don't just raise prices across the board. We try to really look at what's going to make the most impact and hurt the customer the least, you know? So if it's like, okay, our Colorado lamb is our best seller at Rioja. We sell, and we can just raise that by a dollar and that'll make this much money, mm-hmm. you know, versus raise everything by a dollar. Also, I mean, there's, there's a lot of tools today that can help you look at your menu to see what your real, like which items you can change the price on. If you change the price on a few items by like as little as like 25 cents, that can make a huge yeah. impact on your bottom line. Yeah. And there's technology that will help you really do that, that menu engineering. I know one, for example, that comes to mind immediately is Upserve that can help you with that sort of thing. Um, but you also mentioned Spendle and Associates. Did I say that correctly? Sundell, Sundell, S-U-N-D-L-L, yeah. And Sundell. are they just a local um, firm? What exactly is that? You know, they are a, they're based out of here in Arizona, so they have clients and they kind of fall over, but I feel like they're mostly, I think their home base is Arizona. Okay. But we got hooked up with them, you know, we have some nice community of restaurant people in Denver, and a gentleman who runs three or four restaurants on his own group, him and I were talking, he's like, you know, I, I've used this company, Sundell, I really feel like they're a game changer for us. I'm like, I'm going to give them a call. And so it's just kind of that networking that you do with good restaurant people. And of course, that's so valuable um, for people in their own area to network, you know, and get good ideas. Because again, I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. And I'm still trying to, I'm actually online now looking up Sundell and Associates because I'm curious as to what it is that they do. It says uh, they yeah, will completely they, remove headaches and dealing with food suppliers. So yeah, you were just about to say, what is it that they do? Yeah, exactly. So I pay them and so basically I'll tell you a couple of things they have done for us so far. So one of the things they've done for us is they've negotiated our contracts. Mm-hmm. So now we're under and we could have gone with whatever buyer. We're already using Cisco, so they mm-hmm. kind of started with Cisco for the big stuff, you know. Um, and, you know, we went from paying, like, as opposed to us getting a case charge, $7 a case, they did make off us, and now making $3 a case off Oh, us. wow. And those so little they, things. They, they negotiated yeah. gas fees and this and that and the other. So 
random stuff that they wouldn't even change one thing we're buying. Yeah. Or, or you know, he helped us find at Rioja. We have, we've been cleaning fresh artichokes by hand every day, um, five cases a day, you know, maybe someday six cases a day. It's a long job. It's yeah. a hard, and we do it by hand. We found this farm in Monterey that they grow all their artichokes and then they'll clean them by hand. Oh, wow. And they'll send them to us in a cryovac bag. And they are off the farm two days. They're fresher than the ones we're eating now. And we're saving all that money and labor and getting this artichoke sent to us. That's something that, that kind of sounds it's interesting. Farm to table. It is, it is yeah. right there off this one person's farm. So no less quality. There's a lot of opportunity there. It seems like a lot of these, these farms can do a lot to kind of separate themselves to provide better service to their, uh, you know, their pr- purchasers. Uh, I wonder if that's a trend that kind of takes off in the near future. Well, and, with, and with labor costing what it does. That. Yeah. So that's saving me three hours a day on prep, you awesome. know, at one restaurant. Interesting. And then, of course, you know, so it's really, really cool. So that's been something that's been great. So for restaurants, you travel all over the country. Uh, you, you're always mm. taking time to do interviews like this. How do you find time for you in your own life? <laughs> like, what? what's the secret? Well, um, I think the secret is to take it when you can get it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of goes in ebbs and flows. And there's times when I'm just crazy busy. And then when when I have like this moment, I'm like, I'm going to take an extra day off or something like that. Like, so you kind of have to strike while the iron's hot and take time because we could fill up our day. I could be here 24 seven. And sometimes some people want to, Mm -hmm. I personally don't want to, I want to, um, my husband has his own restaurant, so he has a restaurant of his own. So between two of us, we have five restaurants. Wow. Um, and I like to see my husband. I want to, hang out with my dogs. I want to go mountain biking. Um, you know, like we're going to go mountain biking for four days in Moab on the 15th. I'm really excited, you know, so you got to just make time for yourself. Mm-hmm. because No one else is going to do it. And the restaurants will eat up every single bit of your day. Uh, are you, so, are you thinking about the restaurant when you're gone? Are you able to detach? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it just depends. If mm-hmm. I really put down my phone and put down my computer, I can detach. And I really have to make it effort to do that. Sometimes I don't like being behind and then and I don't like being uninformed. So I stay informed and that keeps, and I, you know, I just need to be tacked sometimes. I have a hard time with that. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's definitely tough. I mean, I'm curious, how do you stay informed? How do you stay attached? Do you call or do, is there a way you can? Peer well, no, I mean, to be honest, like we have a couple of systems set up with different, you know, things and, uh, the restaurant teams send emails about this shift notes and things mm-hmm. like that. And of course, we use restaurant solutions and RSI sends us, you know, flash reports on sales and costs and this and that. And, you know, there's everything gets sent to me via email or via, you know, something. And then of course there's me just being mom wanting to call. Is that okay? You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, for sure. I think we'll, we'll probably dive more into those systems in a little bit. I'm sure. Um, so what's one book chef Jen that has just had a huge impact on you, the way you lead, the way you manage, or just the way you, anything if you can think of one book oh well not so much in a management book but you know um pasquel barbeau has a book on l'estrance the french book l apostrophe e-s-t-r-a-n-c-e l'estrance okay. and i love that book chef book because his food is just this amazingly clean food it looks spellbindingly difficult to make but then once you read it this technique is just clean and like there's not a lot of chemicals in it and you know like three-day five-day procedures i just really thought restaurants a great great book on 
just on food and how I how I like to look at it, you know, and I think it is. Um, there's been some super fun books on, I just, uh, you know, management ones. I don't have any off the top of my head. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely have that book in the show notes. Thank you for sharing it. And I'm really excited for this next question because you, you put a lot of emphasis on how you're planning on being more efficient with the years to come and maybe some of the things you've done recently to become more efficient. And you already mentioned RSI and these reports that you're getting. So let's dive into some of the technologies you're leveraging to be- become more efficient well, and more effective. Yeah. Well, we just changed all of our restaurants over to RSI, and that has been great. So at a multiple different levels, RSI has a menu engineering capability into it. So as we input our invoices for anything into it every day, you know, it updates the prices real time. And then we have the recipes costed in the system, and the costed recipes update real time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been great to not to have those two systems tied together so we don't have to go back into a separate system and input price updates. Mm. Um, so I feel like that's been really efficient. Also, um, they have just, there's just a ton of reporting um, from this year, last year. We, could, we just started a new happy hour at one of our restaurants and we have some capabilities with that just between four and five where our impact has been just between four and five at this one restaurant. You know, so just really hone things down on bar sales, food sales, everything, um, to see if things are making an impact. Mm-hmm. So I, and also by putting all four of our restaurants, I'm taking this accounting firm off who's doing kind of outside accounting. We put much more accounting on the restaurant level. The general managers and executive chefs now are really accountable and really see their numbers on a live basis. They have now been in tune with it more. And then I really think they are being more frugal. They're like, Oh Yeah. This costs that much. Right away, I see it. This costs that much. You know, they have a descending, you know, dollar amount to spend on their budget. So they can see like, oh, wow, I'm going to be out of money soon if our sales are still at this yeah. food cost. Or, you know, I, so they have these tools at their fingertips that have really already helped us. Um, we're going to have to dive into it more to get it. You know, it's only been four months. Mm-hmm. or five periods, whatever. You know, but, yeah, I've heard but, yeah, some so, great well, things about RSI. And uh, Matt Vanini, I believe, is the name. He's been on the show mm-hmm. to talk about it. Yeah. And a uh, super knowledgeable guy. I think he has his own podcast, actually, that he just started. I'll Does he? For it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's cool. just right there, RSI in the title. But it's uh, Operating a Restaurant, I believe. is. Yeah, that's it. Well, operating it's really, a Restaurant. It's, it's been great because um, we, you know, the top end, myself, Beth, and Jarrell know all this stuff, but now the general managers are becoming accountable. Yeah. It's been great. And so. any service out there right now that can help you really look at the numbers under a magnifying class and do it quickly is a great yeah. tool because we talked about earlier, you know, the margins. We've got to find ways, efficiencies, and to find opportunities to increase margins wherever we can. A lot of it just comes from watching the pennies and the little the things that we don't normally notice it unless we have those tools to look at the details. So Yeah. Awesome stuff. Uh, All right. The next question if I have for you is if you could just go back in time, Chef Jen, to a time, maybe 2000, uh, and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Huh. That's interesting. Go back in time. I'm super happy with the decisions I've made. Mm -hmm. Um, As you you should be. (laughs) But but, but I think in 2000, though, I was not as good of a listener as I am now. Mm. I think... Because I'm just a, I literally am an ADD, ADHD, I'm hyperactive and I'm just crazy all the time. <laughs> and learning to listen and stop and listen and like take that next step on listening. And I tell this 
is like when somebody's talking to you, sometimes, you know, if you listen to them, why are they saying that? What are they trying to get at? What's mm-hmm. the root of this issue? Mm. That is like super valuable. What is the root of what is going on here with this person? Like they're frustrated, they're, they're stressed out about their work and they're this and that. Is it, you know, like how do you get to the root of that person's problem in mm. listening? I think, I think that's been really impactful for me to help people and for them to feel like they're cared about and, you know, they feel good about working with us. Absolutely. Powerful stuff. Listening. I mean, again, like that habit, one of those seven habits of highly effective people from Stephen R. Covey's book uh, is first seek to understand and then seek to be understood. And that's exactly what you're saying is just listen. Sometimes you can, yeah. just, you can cut so many corners. You just take the time to really understand by listening to a situation. Awesome. Um, so if there's one question, Chef Jen, I could have asked you that would have provided more value to this interview. What would it have been? One question they should have asked me? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we talked about a lot. Um, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't have anything on one question you should have asked. This has been an awesome interview. You've just like shined so much light on what it takes to be successful. Uh, just who you are, the story you've had is just very powerful stuff. And uh, we wrap up every episode, Chef Jen, by calling somebody out. So who's one indie restaurant professional, somebody you admire and just think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you've been for us today? Well, you know, I have to tell you, and it's going to seem a little self-serving, but, you know, Max McKissick, Max McKissick is a... Uh, He's my husband, and he's a great chef, and I progressed so much the 10 years that we've been together. He's helped me be a better chef. I would And just, you know, he's like, I just have to say, you know, it sounds kind of a little self-centered, but my <laughs> husband just has helped me be a better person in so many ways. And uh, chef, you know. I would love to get Max on the show. Chef Max, uh, if you're listening to this, please come on the show. I'm sure Chef Jen will say something to you for me, but uh, that would be awesome. And I you know I would really love to get Beth on the show too. I think that uh, I would love Beth to get the amazing. I would love to get the front of the house perspective uh, from her experience and we need more front of the house people on the show. So if you can help me get that to happen, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Beautiful. So uh, let the folks at home know if they want to come, maybe join your team or pick up the conversation, maybe ask to you know, dive deeper into one of the things you recommended or the pieces of advice that you gave. How can we connect with you? Um, you know, you can connect with me uh, at my restaurants. It's info at riojadenver.com. I'll usually get that um, through the host. Um, it's like information at riojadenver.com. I think that's a great way or just come in and chat with the chefs and say hi and they'll always know where I am. I'm around the block. <laughs> I'm around Larimer Square somewhere. <laughs> awesome. Chef Jen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule to join us as a guest mentor. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Cheers. All right. Uh, have a great one, Eric. <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So a couple of things before I let you go. I'm now offering free one-on-one 15-minute chats. If you want to get inspired, if you need to get just a little motivation, or if you have some questions about some of the things we talked about on the show, you can now chat with me for free 15 minutes. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable to find the links. Don't forget that we have a complete list of all the books and resources our past guests have recommended. These are the books they read, the resources and tools they're using in their restaurant, the tools that are helping them be successful, a whole list archived right there at restaurantunstoppable.com. 
Don't forget to use my links if you really want to give back to the show. If you want to show your appreciation for all these episodes I'm putting out, the best way to support the show is to simply use my links when you discover something new that can help you in your restaurant. Thank you in advance. Also, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. And I can't finish without reminding you to keep those emails coming. I love your emails. They fire me up. They keep me going. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what you love about the show. Tell me anything. I'm here for you. Just shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. All right, that's all we have for today. I hope you're enjoying this journey as much as I am. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time, peace out. 